G'day, everybody. I'm Gavin Lockyer, Managing Director of Arafura Resources, and we're developing the Nolans Bore Neodymium Praseodymium Project in the Northern Territory of Australia. Good to see you, Gavin. End of year uh, conversation roundup, maybe a look into next year as well. But um, we, we, we kind of agreed before we came on, might be worth getting a little update on NDPR market because things have moved significantly uh, this year. So, should we start? Should we start with the old supply demand fundamentals? Should we look at that? Absolutely. Yeah, why not? I mean, uh, this is a really exciting time for the, for this particular market because, um, you know, last time we saw uh, prices spike uh, was back in 2009, 2010, and that was predominantly around some geopolitical act activity. But this time it's actually being driven by supply and demand, um, which is great to see because it gives the financial markets much more confidence in the market. Um, you know, touching on the uh, on the demand, we've had record EV sales throughout this year. Um, even with COVID, people are, are placing orders for electric vehicles. Uh, there's also been a, a reconfiguring of electric motors within China, where China has instigated um, retro um, fitting of of electric motors into replacing uh, older uh, older motors um, as they as they struggle with power shortages so you know some analysts are even saying that um, current demand or demand for this year has been about 69,000 tons of NDPR oxide and as 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 early as 12 months ago that was the forecast demand for uh, 2025 so demand is certainly extremely strong well look, can we can, uh, we, can we talk about the differences because you know if, if, I'm, yeah, sure. if I'm buying into a thesis right I need to understand what I'm walking into because you talk about the last time it was this uh high was back in 2010 but they're for different reasons right back then we had China flexing its muscles and making some um statements and you know cutting cutting off off rare earths because it could. This time round, the it's been driven by fundamentals, and those are two very different drivers, right? Because I don't want to walk into a kind of uh, spiky uh, thematic here. I want to understand that this has got a ways to to run. So, just in terms of those fundamentals and looking forward, am, am, am I to believe that NDPR will, you know? Uh, the demand for NDPR will be consistent moving forward? I believe so. Uh, I mean, the demand is is growing strong, as I said. But on the flip side of that, and, and what is completely different to 2010 when the last spike happened, was on the supply side, China had the capability to simply flick the switch and bring more supply um, into the market. What we're finding now is that China is starting to import more and more material from other countries for processing inside China, simply to meet China's own demand requirements. Um, you know, don't forget, China's got some pretty, um, pretty ambitious uh, electric vehicle um, aspirations as well. So, um, most most analysts are saying by the next, uh, within the next two years, they'll become net importers of material. Right. Um, so you've got. China's also cleaning up its uh, environmental policy in terms of um, um, minimising impact of, of some unsustainable mining operations. Uh, it announced just last week or last month, actually, that uh, it's consolidating the six big firms uh, into um, two large firms, China Northern and China Southern, basically, together with um, a lack of material coming across from Myanmar. So you've got this... Um, uh, real demand supply dynamic at, at, the, at this point in time driving driving prices up 
um, which is you know great to see because as I said, it's um it's it's good to see them growing sustainably. It's been a steady growth throughout this year, um, and it's been sustainable, which is which is fantastic. Right, and, and all this all this demand is coming, and, and people attribute you know all, all new demand to electric vehicles these days. It, it seems, but there's a, there's there's other industries as well that NDPR feeds into. I mean, again, for the beginner, it's just kind of worth kind of um, understanding what where, where the demand drivers are coming from. Yep. Well, it's it's basically e-mobility, so your electric vehicles, but it's also renewable energy. So uh, large offshore wind turbines need about 150 kilograms of neodymium praseodymium magnet in each wind turbine, um, and you know as as post-COVID reform starts to come in with much of the EU looking towards e-mobility, renewable energy, cleaner energy technologies, uh, the demand for um, for rare earths or neodymium and praseodymium in particular is, is growing substantially. Um, and, you know, you've got, uh, you know, the auto sector in particular is really, really driving um, the phasing out of ICE engines and so that's they're starting to set their procurement strategies now for for longer term do you think the i mean it feels like the analysts have kind of got this wrong because it was a case of you know forecast suggested that you know we'd be looking at 2030 etc for 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 the you know you know real meaningful growth um but it seems to have accelerated somewhat is that entirely down to COVID, or was it just the analysts not quite cooling it right um, look, uh, it, it's probably a little bit of both. Uh, uh, COVID highlighted an issue that was always in the marketplace. Um, when uh, when the factories, the magnet factories closed in China, um, many uh, car makers had to stop production simply because they couldn't get rare earth magnets. Um, and so that highlighted a situation, but it, it, it resolved itself throughout uh, the last 12 to 18 months. But then again, then now now has up um, popped up the issue with the uh, semiconductors. So again, car manufacturers have had to halt production um, due to the inability to source a very small costing piece of um, uh, machinery or software uh, that is uh, critical to the operation of that vehicle. So semiconductors and rare earth magnets are probably about make up 0.1% of an electric vehicle. But without them, production stops. And so COVID probably uh, amplified a situation that was already there um, because of the disruption to China. I think there was um, unprecedented growth in electric vehicle sales throughout this year, uh, which has also put pressure on, uh, on, on supply. And then you've had supply constraints coming through as, as China's, um, I guess, cleaning up its industry and uh, and consolidating. So it's a combination of all of that. It, it's kind of interesting. I was, I was speaking to um, a group last week with, I think it was to do with platinum, palladium and so forth. And we we're talking about issues around substitute, substitution and also the fact that because the um, the chip shortages, it was affecting the ability for car manufacturers to actually deliver on on time, and they were even having a question where they delivered to, and you know where they were using um, product at the the higher end or the lower end, and you know, I mean, with you guys with with magnet, well, the NDPR is predominantly magnets for cars. Are you seeing any sort of like faltering in terms of that um, those demand numbers? Uh, not at all. I think um, I think the auto sector is scrambling. To be perfectly honest, at the moment, they they've been caught short a little bit um, through the semiconductor 
sector and also the NDPR um, supply disruptions. They have been focused historically on their battery materials, so the lithium, cobalt, graphite. Um, most of them have, have procured or secured um, supplies of that material. And, and that's understandable because, uh, you know, the battery is about 30% of the cost of an electric vehicle. Um, but um, again, if without the microchip and without the uh, rare earth magnet, you, you don't have a, a vehicle. Uh, it just won't, you, it, it's not as efficient. Uh, you talked about substitution there. Well, yes, you can substitute out um, rare earth magnets, um, but it'll be a less efficient technology that you'll be using, which impacts the size of the battery, the weight of the car, and therefore the distance in which it can travel. But do you think that's kind of in inevitable? Because we, we seem to be rushing headlong into, you know, everyone diving into, it, it, all cars must be electric. Everything we're hearing from from nickel, copper, graphite, well, you know, lithium, well, apart from lithium, um, you know, is that we need everything that we can produce. And if we're designing all of these products into all vehicles, it's, it's going to become problematic at some point. We're going to we come to some sort of supply crunch. Um, and then, then, you know, pricing becomes an issue. So lower end vehicles surely need some degree of substitution um, to their designs, mm. don't they? Look, it, it possibly, um, possibly will, but I think what you'll see is that rare earth magnets will get um, substituted out of those other industries where they're not critical. For instance, you know, an electric drill, you could take out the rare earth magnet and go back to the old um, iron magnet. Your drill is going to become much, much heavier and it might not be a handheld drill, but It'll go, you know, your supply will go where, where demand takes it. And, um, you know, I think uh, the, the electrification of, of um, uh, motor fleets globally is, is, you know, here to stay. Well, I, I, true, true. And I, and I get to, to that degree, then again, at some point in the future, there's going to have to need to be some price insensitivity as to, you know, where these products go into. And I guess, yeah, mobility is probably one of, one of the ones. Um, that should do better. Look, I should think, better. Um, I mean, just turning it to Arafura for the moment, mm. um, look, the discussions we've had with OEMs um, over the last three months has certainly escalated. Um, there seems to be a bit of panic in the in, in terms of um, wanting to do something, um, but not quite sure what, because they're not, you know, they, they haven't really thought this one through like they have done with their battery um, strategies. Um, but I think um, I think what you're finding is that the European car makers are probably a little bit further behind than the um, than the uh, the Koreans and the Japanese. I think the Koreans and Japanese have realised that yes, this is price insensitive. It's about having security of supply, and and I think Europe is playing catch up pretty quickly. Um, but um, you know, it's not quite as fast as um, as some of those other countries I mentioned. It's kind of interesting the 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 Koreans and the Japanese. It just seems a little bit more integrated in terms of the the the, the, the whole food chain and understanding where the margins can can be made. Europeans seem to operate in in isolation, um, but you're hearing that that's becoming less and less the case as they re realise what's coming down the line. When uh, when COVID hit and uh, and rare earth magnets were becoming in short supply into Europe. The, the, I think the response from the auto sector was, well, that's the magnet company's problem. They've got to source it. We've got a contract. Um, but when, when the magnet company started saying, well, we can't source it and uh, we're not honouring that contract, suddenly they, the automaker realised they can't just bully the, these 
these groups around and and really now starting to look into their supply chain and realizing that they need to step in and they need to be part of the solution. But if, you, if I look at some of the conversations we've had in the past, right? We have, we've had some good conversations this year about wh- where you're at. Maybe we should maybe finish off uh, the conversation in, in, in a second with, with regards to where you're at. But you've talked about the desire to look to Europe, look to the US rather than insert yourself in some way into the Chinese uh, supply chain or quite frankly, even even the Koreans and, and, and Japanese supply chain. So the how how are the what's your view of the way that the Europeans are um, tackling this? Are they going to move quicker? Because they've only just started looking at it like it like it's new news. Um, are they going to have access to the capital that that they want? There seems to be a lot of grants and, and, and funds floating around the EU. I can't speak to the to North America. But do you expect them to kind of get get you know accelerate that process next year? Oh, look, I think it'll be before next year. They'll have to do it before next year. And and look, all the 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 meetings we're having at the moment. Um, and your question was specifically around Europe. Um, the the OEMs are certainly um, becoming a lot more active and um, and a lot more, I guess, aggressive in terms of wanting to do something. Um, in terms of is there capital around, um, you just saw, I think um, uh, there was a, a company, um, uh, I think Volkswagen have just recently, um, uh, or oh, sorry, uh, Stellantis actually in Europe have just um, invested into a, um, a project, a lithium project, I think, uh, so there's certainly capital around for the right um, for the right projects. Uh, I think um, you know the the European banking sector and the and the government export credit agencies are certainly aware of of the situation. And I think government and ECAs have actually been trying to push industry a little bit along along um, in this in this um, way. Um, so I think the capital is there. Uh, I just think it has to be unlocked. Um, and as you know. Projects like ours need need capital. Well, you need a lot of capital, right? So, I mean, where where are you with your with your conversations? We, you know, been, you've been having lots of conversations this year. Obviously, domestically, there's there's some. You talked about three hundred million bucks available to you, um, but really, you need to kind of you need to dip. You, well, more than dip your toes in, in, into Europe. You need mm. to get some level of commitment from partner or a partner or partners um, there. So how, yep. are the, how are those conversations going? Look, at the moment, uh, we've got lots of discussions going on with um, end users and potential customers. But, um, you know, I would have to say that probably 10, 10 of those of those many customers would have certainly advanced term sheets um, with pricing included, volumes uh, included. Um, uh, you know, and if we were to execute every one of them, uh, we would have sold 260% of our production. So it's a matter of which one's coming first. The other interesting thing that's really been um, uh, coming to fore of recent months, uh, probably especially this last quarter, has been that those OEMs are now even actually starting to talk about potential equi- strategic equity placements into Arafura. Um, and, you know, they're, they're talking around uh, that's directly linked to their security of supply. So, you know, they want fixed price, long-term contracts, uh, and it's a, it's a matter of us bargaining to try and see what's the best deal for us and, and obviously what's the best deal for the customer. I mean, if, if, if I look at, I mean, the longer this goes on, you know, I guess there's going to be some concern in the market, but the longer this goes on, 
with the way pr pricing has uh, evolved this year, the way that supply, because you know, if we look at, at Myanmar, who you mentioned earlier, they remain closed, right? And they, they're a big contributor to this. And the longer that remains closed, the better it is for your discussions with these guys, because um, these kind sure. of moments dramatically change the economics for the uh, OEMs and, and the like. So they probably want to get this um, closed qu as quickly as you do, I suspect. Look, when we, when we started this, um, some of these off-take discussions, um, you know, we were talking about a range of um, a range of pricing mechanisms in there. We needed price protection on the downside. They wanted price protection on the upside, um, and some just wanted fixed price. And um, at you know, when when neodymium's or NDPR's trading at fifty bucks a kilo, it's quite difficult to get it much higher. But if it stays at one thirty a kilo for uh, for an extended period of time, then I think. Um, the um, the goalposts change. Yeah, I mean, and, and what is the expectation? Obviously, we, I, I, we can't speak to when uh, Myanmar will, will open up, etc. But um, you must have a view, given the conversations that, that you're having, and so much the the counterparty about what they think is happening in the market going going forwards. Because, like I say, it's all well and good prices being you know like they were in 2010, but then they came way off again. What we don't need is mm. a kind of volatile market going forward. But the expectation is because the on the demand side, because of you know how, how things have evolved in terms of electrification of, and of mobility, that 130 is a reasonable number to be working off of. Were there discounts? Look, I, I think I look. Um, you know, we've got a range of pricing mechanisms, and and it'll really come down to what, what um, you know, what we're prepared to give up, and what the um, what the offtake is prepared to give in exchange for that. So, you know, I, I, I'm not going to answer clearly um, one way or the other, but I think it's fair to say that you know we're we're talking about a range of pricing options with, and it depends on the customer too, as to what that might be now. You know, if if uh, one party comes to the table and they've got a really good deal, then you know the others might miss out unless they can trump that deal. Right. I guess what I'm trying to what I'm trying to understand and what I'm trying to help people understand is a little bit more about the NDPR pricing and mm -hmm. more importantly the yep. supply side because that's going to if obviously you know production opens up. We've seen various projects claiming to be able to produce. Um, and you know, obviously more more product means cheaper pricing. So. Are you sensing that the discussions that you're having will end up somewhere in and around the $100 mark or that we are super peak uh, pricing now and it's going to come come way off and uh, fall Look, away? I think, um, I think long term we'll be looking at something 100 plus, to be okay. honest. Okay. Um, look, I think, I think we'll probably see a, a spike early next year, um, but I think longer term, you know, it could be around the 120, 130 mark, somewhere around there. Okay, I think that's um, that's that's pretty reasonable for everybody concerned. Okay, and, that, and I guess that helps people understand uh, a little bit more around the, around the economics if they care to do a little bit of work. Um, okay, um, so big big moments for you next year are going to be one making some sort of decision around a strategic partner, whether it includes equity or just offtake or whatever. You'll you'll let us know. But what's the timing of that? Look, we're we're targeting FID um, second half of next year. In fact, the, the third quarter of next year. So, you know, by implication, before before we get to that point, we're going to need all of those things you mentioned and more. Um, so we'll need offtake, we'll need uh, have lined up our equity, uh, whether it be strategic equity and or, um, you know, a, a wider a wider equity component. 
um, we'll obviously need to have our debt uh, structure um, locked away. Uh, as you said, we've got 300 million from the Australian government. We would like to get, you know, similar numbers uh, from from other countries and their export credit agencies. Um, and uh, and obviously, we've got to complete the um, front end engineering and design, and um, that will ultimately lead into a fixed price EPC contract, um, so we can start construction. You know, we're hopeful that um, you know the winds are behind us, and if we can hit the ground running in uh, 2022, um, you know there may even be an opportunity to start bringing forward some of our on ground work and and start some early early construction work on site. So that would be an outstanding result. Okay, I think that answers the question I was going to ask you. So, like, um, Gavin, thanks for the catch up on what's happening in the marketplace, uh, just, and also thanks for coming on for an end of year roundup. We'll catch you early in the new year, see how things are moving and, and indeed, um, you know, whether you do start some early works, that'd be, that'd be interesting uh, and very indicative of how confident you are. So have a great Christmas. We'll see you next year. You too. Thanks for having us and uh, Merry Christmas to all your subscribers.